Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Sermon text that we have that we want to consider for All Saints Sunday is recorded for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We hear verses 2 through 9. Please rise as we hear these words in Jesus' name. Paul writes, To the church of God in Corinth, those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, who are called as saints, along with all in every place, who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. You were enriched in him in every way, in all your speaking and all your knowledge, because the testimony about Christ was established in you. As a result, you do not lack any gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also keep you strong until the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who called you into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray, Lord, help us to see and rejoice in knowing that you have declared us to be among your saints. Help us to also rightly appreciate and honor our fellow saints who have trusted in you. Amen. Please be seated. As we observe this All Saints Sunday, we want to ask some questions about the saints so that we're all on the same page about what it is that our church believes and teaches concerning God's saints. So, first of all, what is a saint? And in the back of our catechism, the glossary definition is very simply this, one who is holy. A saint is a holy one, someone that's righteous, just, perfect. This is someone who then also has God's love and has God's blessings, both here and now in this world, in this life, and forever to come in heaven. So, do you want to be a saint? And the question is emphatically yes. You want to be a saint. You want to have God's approval. You want to have God's face and countenance smiling upon you with this proud fatherly smile beaming as he looks at you. We want that. We want to know that God is for us, that God loves us, that God has our back. And he does. He loves his saints. We want to hear that and we want to know that, especially when we consider that there's only one other terrifying option to hear God say to someone, it's either one or the other, either you're a saint and he says, look, it's my beloved child with whom I am well pleased, or the other option, to hear God say the terrifying words, depart from me, you evildoer, I do not know you. So yes, we want to be among his saints. So what does God say to you? If those are the options, what does God say to you and me? Are you a saint? Are you a holy one? Should God look upon you and let his face shine upon you because you have made him proud, because you deserve it? Jesus, in his earthly ministry, he had to deal with people 
who thought this very thing, that they deserved God's grace and favor, that they had earned their way into sainthood. That was the Pharisees, of course. These were individuals who thought that God was lucky to have such dedicated, good, self-righteous people as themselves on his side, that they deserved this favored status as saints. You remember Jesus' parable, though, about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and he characterized that Pharisee standing in the temple, and he turns to God. This is the kind of heart that we're talking about here. Look at me, God. Look at how great I am. You should be happy with me. I'm not like these evildoers. I fast twice a week. I give more than is required of me. He was pointing to himself and saying, I deserve to be among your saints. But what did Jesus say at the conclusion of that parable? That was not the man that went home justified. No, that individual, that Pharisee, was was not the one who was declared a saint before God. Dear friends, beware this attitude in your own heart. We too are guilty of acting like those Pharisees. We too are tempted to look down on other people and to declare, well, I must be a saint because I'm far superior and better than that sinner. I'm better than that person. Plus, look at all these things that I do for God. He must be happy with me. This past week at our school, we had our parent-teacher conferences. It's a time for our, our teachers to give an honest assessment of how a student is doing. Imagine there being a kid who goes up to his mom and dad before the student-teacher conference and says, Mom and Dad, everything's going to be great. You're going to go in there. Everything's going to be fantastic. You'll see I'm getting straight A pluses. My teacher's so happy with me. You're going to want to raise my allowance. But then the reality is that the teacher, when that teacher sits down with Mom and Dad, reveals that that student is struggling that that student is disruptive in class, that student isn't exerting himself, that that student is getting failing grades. Yeah, sure, that student might have had great confidence in himself. He was talking big. But what is the reality of the situation? Will the parents be happy with their student? Does that student actually deserve that raise in his allowance or maybe no allowance at all? When you and I, when people begin to think that God must be pretty happy with them, with our own works, with our own efforts, with all of the things that we do, our dedication, when we are approaching things thinking like we must be getting straight A pluses on our spiritual report cards, it's time to have an honest sit-down assessment. Like a parent-teacher conference, only this is a God-in-the-law conference. We look into the law that we find in the Bible, the laws and commands that God has given to us, and we can ask, have I been good enough for my Heavenly Father to be happy and proud of me? Do I have a passing grade? Have I obeyed all of these laws and all of these commandments that have been given to me to follow? Or will this assessment, this conference with the law, conclude that you are 
that you are holy, blameless, or will it say that you are not? Will this conference, this examination, this honest assessment that we have with God's law, will it reveal to you and me that we are saints or sinners? God's word points out the trouble that we are in if we are approaching God on our own with this made-up false confidence of our own efforts, of our own works. The Bible reveals to you and me that if we're talking about earning something, we have earned the title of sinner, not saint. Scripture says there is no one righteous. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The one who claims to be without sin is deceiving himself, it says. Here's the honest assessment for you and me today. We shouldn't be saints. You and I, along with all other people, we should be disqualified from sainthood. We should be labeled as sinners, and we should be those who are sent away from God forever. But when we recognize our sinfulness, and we realize the doom that we should face because of our sinfulness, uh, because of our sinfulness, that is the time when an almighty and yet gracious, merciful, loving God comes along to us and he says, you know what? I still want you to be a saint. Let me make you a saint. And that's how one becomes a saint. You see, dear friends, it's not about what, what we do or don't do. It's not about our own holiness. A lot of people treat the saints as if it was something that they had done. Scripture speaks nothing of the sort. Instead, it all points to God and to what God has done in order to make someone his saint. It's a gift that is given and worked by God, that is received by faith and trust in God. And you and I, we see this emphasized, especially in our text for today. Paul, in our text, he's writing to the Corinthian congregation. And we've talked before about the Corinthians. This church in, in Corinth, it was a hot mess. They had all of these struggles, all of these terrible issues. The people there were, were notorious, terrible sinners. And yet, how does Paul begin this letter that he addresses and writes to them? These struggling people. He assures them that they still possess the status in God's eyes of being his saints. And it's definitely not because of what they had done. Did you notice that in our text? All the passive tense that was there in our, te in our text? Who is the one that's doing all of the action that Paul is pointing to? Is he pointing to the Corinthians and saying, you've done all these things? No. Instead, he points to God. Paul said, you in Corinth, you have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. You are called as saints. The grace of God is given to you in Christ Jesus. You were enriched in him. The testimony about Christ, it was established in you. He will keep you strong until the end. He will keep you blameless on that last day. God has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul is speaking to these Corinthian Christians, and he is pointing out, you are, in fact, saints, not because of what you've done, 
but because of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. And dear friends, the same is true for you still today. You are a saint, and you can proclaim it. I know that I am, in fact, a saint. I don't deserve it, but look at what God has done for me through the work of my Savior, Jesus Christ. You and I, we should be eternally separated from God. And yet God, he points to Jesus and says, you belong with me because of him. You are one of my holy saints. God, instead of pointing to the sins that you are guilty of, instead of saying, you, you are a sinner, God points instead to the holiness and the perfection that Jesus earned with his holy, perfect life that he lived here in this world. And he says, this is the righteousness that I now see upon you. This is the righteousness, the holiness, this is the sainthood that I now see covering you. The righteousness that Jesus earned. Jesus, of course, he was sinless. He was perfect in every way. He had straight A's on his spiritual report card. He followed God's law exactly. And God now says what Jesus earned counts for you. And instead of saying, depart from me, you evildoer, God now comes to you and he says, I have taken all of your failures. I have taken all of your selfishness. I have taken all of your guilt, all of your sins, and I have put those upon the cross. And Jesus has paid for all of your sins, all of your iniquities with his own blood upon the cross. That means that God now looks at you and me and he doesn't see a single sin on us anymore because every single sin that we are guilty of, it has been forgiven, paid for upon the cross. God now looks at you through the cross and he says, yes, you are in fact my saint. And because we're saints, because you are a saint, that means that death in the grave has no say over you. You don't need to fear it. It is powerless over you. God's holy ones, his saints, have power over death itself. Because just as our Lord Jesus rose from the grave, so too will we, who are his fellow saints, we will also rise and take our seats around God's side in heaven. It's as simple as this. You believe in Jesus, and that means you are a saint. Now, of course, we understand and we admit until our dying day, until we leave this world, we're still going to struggle with sin. We're going to be making mistakes. And yet, thanks be to God, we live in a state of grace. He points us every single day to the fact that our sins every single day, the sins that we commit every day, he forgives them again and again. And he lets this grace flow to you, to you and to me through his means of grace. And this is why we love the means of grace. It's why we say they're awesome. Because here as we open God's word, the holy scriptures, we get to, to hear the love of God and the love that God has for us. We get to read it every single day. We get to see God is in fact for me. We get to take and apply the love that Jesus has for us to our everyday lives. God invites us to remember our baptisms and to bring our little ones, to bring those who aren't baptized to his baptismal font. 
where he gives a gracious promise. He, he washes us clean of our sins, and he says, you are my holy one now. You are my saint. And every time we remember and rejoice in that, that promise of sainthood is restored and reconfirmed inside of us. We get to participate in a miracle that's going to take place in a few moments as we gather around God's altar. And here God is sharing with us in the bread and the wine what he says, the very body and blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. That means that you and I, we have comfort, we have assurance that we are in fact counted among his saints. We are, we are, we are already sitting at his table with him as his holy people. Dear friends, this gives us so much confidence. That gives us so much comfort, too. Especially as we think about those who, who have left this world behind. On All Saints Day, we also consider and think about our, our loved ones, our fellow church members, our fellow saints, who have transferred to the church triumphant. People like John Molstead Sr. and, and Dwayne Garbers, Alan Mueller, Joanne Weemers, and, and recently yesterday, Ruth Reichwald. These are our loved ones who, who faced the gloomy portal of death this past year. But what comfort and what confidence you and I have knowing what God has said about these loved ones of ours. God says they were saints. He declared them to be his saints. They were and still are precious to him. And because God made them holy, we are assured that they're in heaven. And we too, who are also saints, who are made holy by God, are going to be reunited with them there. So, how do we then honor these saints who have departed this world for heaven? We, uh, we don't want to view and approach the saints as, as many people do. We don't look at the saints as those who possess some sort of extra holiness or some sort of supernatural ability to help us from heaven. And the Bible proclaims that when we pray, we are only to pray to God. And so we don't pray to the saints. We don't treat the saints in any sort of superstitious or, or idolatrous way. When a loved one leaves this world and goes to heaven, it's not like they're watching over you from heaven and seeking to be involved in your life. And really, honestly, do we want that to be the case? We want our loved ones who leave this world to go and be at rest, to be at peace, to be in joy and bliss at God's side, not to be sucked back into all the troubles and turmoil and hardships of this world. When I go to heaven, leave me alone, please. God is the one who loves you. He's the one who has far more power and ability and willingness to help you. Turn to him. Go to him. But with that said, we still do want to honor those saints. How do we do that? How can we rightly honor? How should we look at these saints, these, these holy ones who have gone on before us? Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon and the early reformers in the days of the Reformation, they addressed this very question. How do we look at and how do we rightly honor the saints? And they wrote... Uh, about this. And I included this little snippet in our bulletin today from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. And this is what our church really believes and teaches about how we honor the saints. And the first thing that they point out is that we honor the saints by giving thanks, by thanksgiving. 
It says, we should thank God because he has shown examples of mercy because he wishes to save people. We honor the saints not by pointing at the saints and saying how great they are, but we point at God and say how great he is. Who made these people saints? After all, who were these people? Think about in the Bible, all of these, these heroes of the faith, these saints that we hear listed in the Bible. They were some seriously flawed individuals. Moses, Moses murdered a guy and he had anger issues. King David, he had an affair with a married woman and then murdered her husband to cover it up. St. Paul, he was a persecutor of the church. And yet, what did God have to say about these individuals? What did God do for these individuals? God made them his saints. He gave them mercy. He, He forgave them for their sins. We thank God for that. And we also rejoice that that's the same mercy that he gives to you and me who should be seen only as sinners. Instead, he gives us mercy and grace so that we, too, are counted as his saints. Secondly, how do we rightly honor the saints? The Apology to the Augsburg Confession goes on and explains that it's a way in which our faith is strengthened. Our resolve is built up. The second service, it says, is the strengthening of our faith. When we see Peter's denial forgiven, we are also encouraged to believe all the more that grace truly superabounds over sin. What a great word, right? Superabounds. The saints were also sinners, just like we are, and yet God's grace is far greater. When we see how God was at work to forgive people like Peter and others, King David, Saul, Paul, that's an encouragement to you and me, knowing that he also forgives us. How encouraging this is. Thirdly, lastly, we're encouraged to honor the saints by imitating them. Melanchthon wrote there in the Apology to the Augsburg Confession, the third honor is the imitation, first of faith and then of the other virtues. The, other, um, the, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes famously says, there's nothing new under the sun. And, and I like to think that that, com- that uh, relates here as we look at the saints When you and I face trouble and struggle in our life, it's a comforting thing to know that there are other people who have already faced these things. The saints who have gone on before us have faced these struggles that we too have faced, maybe in slightly different ways. But there with the saints, we also know and see that there's a happy ending. We see that God's hand is active there with his people, and that gives you and me confidence as we imitate them, as we follow along as they did, that God will also be there for us to, uh, to strengthen us, to bless us in spite of these hardships. He will do the same for you and me. So, in conclusion, <clears throat> who are the saints and what have we learned about them today? The biggest takeaway that I want everyone to walk out of here knowing, you, you are among God's saints. Everyone who believes in Jesus, their Savior from sin, is a saint. You are a saint before God. Thank God for this wonderful blessing. And how do we rightly then honor the saints? Not by pointing to them and how great they are, but pointing to God and how great he is, making them saints, making you and me 
his saints. Thanks be to God. Amen.